Welcome to the podcast. We do recover with Jared Miller, your host. And I'm Dr. Terry Sellers, your co-host. This is a podcast about recovery from addiction. We want to talk about what successful recovery can look like. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. Listeners, welcome to our official episode 105. This is going to be a, like a mashup, right? So if this was a music soundtrack, it would definitely be a mashup. We've got some Christmas stuff we're going to get to. We have some questions that we, listeners have emailed in. Uh, we got a whole lot going on. whole lot going on. Let's start off episode 105. Part one is brought to us by our sponsors, Steps Recovery Centers. Steps Recovery Centers is here to help you or a loved one get help as soon as you're ready to reach out. Reach out by giving them a call at 801-800-8142. Or you can go to their website. That website is stepsrc.com. They've got detox, inpatient, outpatient, uh, everything from start to finish. Reach out to them if you if you or a loved one needs some help. We appreciate their sponsorship. Episode 105, part two or part one is also brought to us by Rise Up Supplements. Rise Up Supplements is a nootropic blend of supplements. We have two nootropic blends. The first one's going to be Mindful Mood. Mindful Mood is your feel-good, decrease anxiety, enhance mood. It's good stuff. Then we have Mind Shift. Mind Shift is going to increase focus, optimize brain functions. It really helps with like concentration. So check it out. We actually just this week started doing samples, free samples. All you pay is the shipping on the samples. So... If you want a duo, it's $10 for shipping. Costs you absolutely nothing except for the shipping. If you want to try just one formula, it's $6 on shipping. Go to riseupsubs.com, place your order. That's R-I-S-E-U-P-S-U-P-S dot C-O-M. All right, we also wanted to announce... Oh, are you awake? Yeah. Okay. okay. I thought I thought you dozed off, Doc. I did while you were spelling Rise Up Subs. Oh, okay. All right. We also wanted to let everybody know if you are interested in a sponsoring a sponsorship position, we are now opening that up for the start of 2023. So we're looking for some some sponsors. We have basically like we average 200 downloads. We have anywhere from 500 to 1500 views on Facebook. I mean, it's out there. Yeah. We have downloads in every single state except for Nebraska and North Dakota. Who Damn cares? you, Nebraska! Who, who cares about those guys though, right? So yeah. Reach out. We want to hear from you. You can send us a direct message or you can email us at the full name of the podcast. We do recover with Jared Miller at gmail.com. All right, I'm done. You are? Yeah. Don't be done. Okay. We don't have downloads in South Dakota. It's North Dakota or South, one of those Dakotas. North Dakota. Okay, uh, good. Who knows? Damn you, Dakota! I thought it was. <laughs> what's, what's the monument in South Dakota? Why, can't, why am I blanking on the name? Oh, of the Mount Pins- Rushmore. Mount Rushmore. Yeah. None of the four presidents have downloaded us yet. <laughs> Unfortunately not. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, uh, what are we doing? Let's start with new and goods. Y- y- okay. I'll lead it off. Go. By asking you what's new and good in your oh, life. Oh, okay. I see what you did there. <laughs> yeah. So since it's like a Christmas theme, you know, well, first of all, wow. I found out today. Yeah, we got a phone call. I've been putting it out there, but putting it out of the universe. Everybody knows that we're doing IVF, me and Mandy, my wife. So we found out today that Mandy is pregnant with a little baby girl. Thunderous applause. Pretty cool. Thunderous applause from the crowd. Yes, there you go. If you know anything about me and my story, and it's it's not the first time I've been a dad, I'm getting a new chance at fatherhood, and yeah. I couldn't be more excited. Yeah, you'll be awesome. But it's 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 her first chance to be a dad, though, right? It's her first chance. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, sure. Cool. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> She's gonna be make a, sure everybody can be a dad. Mommy. She'll be a really good dad. Yeah. You'll yeah. suck as a mom, though. Oh, and I also on in the whole you know this is our Christmas episode, guys. One hundred five is going down as our Christmas episode. So. Doc Sellers, it's been... We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. year. It's not beer? Oh, sorry. This is a recovery podcast. Recovery podcast, yeah. (laughs) Try to keep it on. Hey, listen, Sellers. You guys need to do that again. Hold on a second. Try it again. Go. Are we doing the song? We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. There's no thunderous applause in this case. 
Oh, beautiful. There we go. On that note, Merry Christmas. What? Dr. Sellers. What? Yeah, tear into that bad boy. You can't boy. open this on the on the podcast because nobody can hear. Of course. Of course we can. All right. Well, I'm opening it for the... It's a bag. I got a lid. I know that you're a golfer. Oh my gosh! Look at that. It's wrapped. It's a. It's a. Looks like a white. A white cap. A white ball cap. Some kind. Oh, we got play by play. And uh, has a tag (laughs) on it. And he's flipping it. He's stretching it out. Taking off his his top hat. There, his little beanie hat. Oh, his BYU. Knocking off. And it's a. It is a white hat. Look at that. Did you notice where it was from? Florida. Florida. That's where I'm you don't from. have any ties to Florida, do you? That's where I'm from, baby. Man, it's almost like I know you, Doc Sellers. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Hey, Sean. Merry Christmas. Oh, Denovan. What? No. Yeah, buddy. No. Yep. Denovan's got presents, too. Oh. Sweet. Pregnant wife, man. Do you do the pass to off? The, hold on a second. I, I got this. To the Grinch, Sean. <laughs> to the Grinch. <laughs> bah, you know, guy. Bah, Come on. Bug. Can I open this now? Yeah, absolutely. Right, okay. Tear into it. You might have a... You know, a little message in there for you. Yeah, it's... Stocking stuffers are nice. This... Oh, my gosh. It's a... Oh, Bear Paw Cafe. Thank you, dear Grinch. Oh, I mean, wow. Sean. Oh, there we go. What's growing three times larger? Oh, heart. <laughs> I hope this gift makes your heart grow three times larger. Oh my yes. Thank you. Thank you. You know what I do with these? Stocking stuffers are nice, but wallet stuffers are better. I use I what I use I use these regift and uh, I regift them after I've used them. Yes. <laughs> so there's like twenty cents left, and I give it to people I don't like. I love it. I love it. Awesome. That's my thank new you, good. Thank you. I'm all out of tricks. Okay. Merry Christmas, guys. Yeah, it's been fun. I didn't realize we were going to do this on air. I might have brought your present, but hey, listen, I'm good. I'd have to buy it first. <laughs> Just about every time we go out to dinner, you buy, so yeah, I'm that's good. That. That's that. All right, let's. Uh, What's your new and good? Oh, I don't. You know, I don't have anything good in my life at all. Everything's so bad, I can't stand it. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> so life's good. I mean, you know what's happening. I got uh, my wife's been pretty sick for a couple of weeks and. Finally went and saw the doctor yesterday and got some stuff for a cough, and hopefully she'll start getting better. But uh, I had my brother move in with me, which is, for me, fun. It's fun. I got enough room. So um, that's good. And then BYU plays football tomorrow in their little diddly, <laughs> diddly. Yeah, I got booed. <laughs> Sean, my guy. That guy is no good. In their little diddly uh, football game that they call a they bowl made a game. bowl game. Yeah, well, cool. Okay. Who are they playing? Your mom and some other person. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. My mom's probably gonna win. It's a guy. She's got. Hey, you know I was a great football player. My mom's she's a beast. Yeah, yeah. Well, she could probably beat the Cougars defense. Probably, probably. Uh, they're playing SMU, who has a very prolific offense actually, and BYU's defense has not been great this year. So BYU's offense has been pretty good, but defensively not very good. So could be one of those forty-eight to thirty-nine football games for all we know. Could be entertaining. We'll nice. see. Yeah, I almost went, but decided not to. Not this year. Yeah, I'm going to go tomorrow night. BYU also plays in basketball. The University of Utah, you're running Utes. Very nice. Yeah. That's that's my team. Yeah. That's my people. Yeah, so it's going to be close because BYU's basketball team has not been great this year either. So anyway. I don't know if you guys know this, but Dr. Sellers is a huge BYU fan. Yeah, they know. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I make making it pretty sure obvious. I take a lot of flack for it. You wouldn't believe what it's like to be a BYU fan. I love that you're loyal. I went, I went to a... I went to a work party last night, and one of the therapists was maybe had a little bit too much to drink. She's not in recovery. Oh. And uh, she got a little aggressive on me. <laughs> I'm like, wow. geez, lighten up. You're not even from Utah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. that's the way it goes. You uh, want to ask? Mr. Denovan, you got anything new and good in your life? No, nah, everything's fine. Really? Yeah. You got a gift certificate to Bear Paw? I, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I'm going to go. Bear gonna Paw, go. hopefully you enjoyed as much as I do. That's my favorite book. Breakfast place uh, in St. George, Utah. I, I do have a new and good. I bought myself my own Christmas present this week. Really? Went to Home Depot and got one of the bigger, nicer uh, tool chests. Oh, like, nice. Like, like the big ones. You bought your own Christmas present? Yes. Are you related to my wife? She knows every single 
<laughs> Every single gift she's getting this year because she bought them or she picked them out herself. It's the best kind. It's awesome. You go there. Other people can't pick you better gifts than no. you can pick yourself. Okay. So what do you want? I said nothing. Whatever you get me, it's not going to be unless it's a couple bucks at Bear Paw Cafe. But everything else is just <laughs> fails in comparison. Hey, that's to that's to the Grinch. That's not even to you. Oh, okay. Hey, <laughs> so what did you get? Uh, a, a tool chest. Tool a, chest. A big old husky tool chest. It was nice. white, a white one. Nice. So it's got a table. It's got things. It's got the big drawers. And oh, so geez. I've had like this little like $100 one for like a decade. So, yeah. So I spent all like a couple nights ago, like 409, 409ing all of my wrenches and stuff. And they're all lined up and they're all pretty. Oh, they're all, all CD'd out. Oh, and there's like little LED lights inside. You open the drawer and it lights up and stuff. So. And that's why we understand oh each God. other, Sean, because hey, I would do that, too. I'm almost 50. I deserve that. Yes. It's absolutely. about time. Absolutely. I love it. It's fantastic. I like it. I like it. Well, before we move into the Q&A portion. Make sure you 409 your crescent wrenches, people. 409 them. <laughs> before we move into the Q&A portion of this, listen, I episode 101, Braden Dobson, he came on. He was a guy that I, I went and found when he was homeless, homeless. Ultimately, he accepted some help. He's now 18 months clean, and he's trying to get back into college. Are you familiar with this? Did you listen to that episode, Sellers? Yes, I did. So he owes $1,500 to Utah Tech University before he can re-enroll and get student loans and all of that. Uh. He had a GoFundMe that I saw that he posted, and when I went to make a comment on it, it told me he'd removed it two days ago. Shoot. Not even a single like. And I was like, "Get no way, right? Like, we're doing this. Yeah. So, on our Facebook page, we do recover with Jared Miller on Facebook. If you go there, I did my very last post is to help Braden Dobson raise fifteen hundred dollars through GoFundMe. I personally donated money. Please, let's help this guy out. Let's show him what the recovery community is all about. I I just enjoy seeing people take the next step in their recovery, and I think it's time for him. It's almost been two years, eighteen months. So, if listen, if you're looking for a, a good place to donate some money, uh, yeah. Go to our Facebook page. Yeah, if you want to make somebody, if you want to make somebody else's life a little bit better, cough up a couple of bucks. Yeah, and listen, that's the thing, right? Every little bit helps. Right. Like mine wasn't hundreds yeah. of dollars. No, you don't have to twenty five. You bucks. don't have to donate five hundred dollars. Sure, you can donate five dollars. Right. Absolutely. You can donate a dollar. Right. Five would be better though. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. But yeah, let's let's help this guy out. He yeah. deserves it. I'm pretty passionate about a it. Chance. I would just I be like I would like I would be so thrilled if he got that opportunity. So yeah. let's do that. And then he's gonna come bug Sean because he wants to do sports radio and he wants to do uh you know, what is it, journalism and stuff like that. You remember him, right? Yeah, Sean? I'll I'll take him out to Bear Paw Cafe. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Fantastic. With, with my new gift card for Or the you branch. could or you could give it to him after you're uh, after you've left eighteen cents on it. Or I can sell it and then donate the money to his GoFundMe. That's right. Boom. So sell the 18-cent card hey, Jared, for you got $7. <laughs> you can sell me my own gift? <laughs> oh, man, it's getting deep in here. Yeah, it is. All right, let's start off Q&A. What are we doing? So we have been promoting for uh, over a week. Write us. A few email weeks. us. So hold on. Where's my phone? I first want to like start off with weeks. a comment because I just think it's, like, hilarious. So I put out the promo. I don't know if if you're familiar with a certain Wendy Stilson. Stilson. Yes, I am. She wrote on a comment. Oh, the only answer we all want to know is what color will sellers sellers comment. or Doc be wearing? I said I'm totally starting out with this one. She said we used to place bets with the clients before he would come see them, what he would be wearing. It's kind of it's kind of fun, Jared. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Wendy. That was fantastic. So. And then... So what color am I wearing today? It's gray. Pretty boring and gray, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Until so you throw on the the blue BYU. Yeah, I got to put on my Christmas. blue BYU uh, Christmas hat. But let me uh, tell you a stupid little fact about that. Cause you, so, you know, I wear like crazy outfits. People that know me know that. Yeah. My golf outfits are extremely loud it's and thing. bright. I, and I like that. Yeah, it's fun for me, right? Um, but... On Wednesdays, I work down in Glenwood, which is a suburb of Richfield, and I drive to Scipio and then get off the freeway there and turn left and head to Richfield. And they've started at the Flying J, which is where I get my 9,000 ounces of Dr. Pepper. You guys haven't seen this. Shout out to the 9,000 ounce Dr. Pepper. Um, 
when I stop at the Flying J there to fill this thing up, they they are now they have a little poster behind the counter, and they all the employees write in their guesses as to what color I'm going to be wearing. Very nice. So I disappoint them if I show up in gray. Well, yeah, they're all taking bets. I almost Nobody can't. Wants I almost money. can't show up in gray anymore. I take flack if I don't wear something bright. So. The same thing happens down at that treatment center in Richfield as well. They'll sometimes wager like a free something for anybody who guesses what color I'm going to be wearing. You're basically like a legend, dude. Well, I'm basically weird, but let's let's move on. Okay, I'm, I'm going to go with the. Uh, I, hold on, there was another. Oh, there's another some, comment, right? Because okay. I, I put questions, comments, and concerns. Okay, let's see if I can. What find do we it. got? A concern? Jake Ferguson wrote. Huh. Jared and Sellers are, are, okay. Jake Ferguson wrote something. You just can't read it. No, it's the wrong message. This says, love you guys. Oh, okay. Hi, Jake. He, he wrote one somewhere. I thought I'd find it. He basically was saying, like, we're gurus. We're oh, the gurus, and he not. loves listening to us. We're and, not that, but Jake is kind. Yeah, he's a funny cat. Yeah, he's a good guy. I'll find it about the time that, it, that yeah. we're done with this, right? Sure. You know how that goes. Sure. Anyways, moving on. Yeah, you got one of the emails? Let's sure. rock and roll. Let's start with the first one. You ready? We need to get Jake Ferguson on one of these days. He would be good. Absolutely, he would be good. Yeah, let's get him on. At what? Okay, so this question comes from Mary in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, baby. Mary, comma, PA. At what point do we hold addicts accountable for choices and action ma actions made during their active addiction? Mm. Great question. That's a very, that's kind of a nuanced question. It's a little bit deeper than it sounds on the surface. But uh, well, I'll ask you, what do you think? What are your thoughts on that? I think we always hold them accountable. I agree. I mean, listen, we can talk to uh, families and we can ex explain the disease model, right? You, you're really good at this stuff and the frontal cortex and how it's not working. They're being controlled by their midbrain. And we know that, right? Because we've seen that. Um, Scientifically, we've seen that. That's why the American Medical Association in 1953 declared it a disease. But it's a disease of choice. Disease of choice. Starts off as a choice. Eventually, it becomes your brain gets hijacked. Right. Here's, this is just from my studying and understanding. Doc may disagree. He's giving me some looks. No, I have some other opinions maybe, but okay. I don't know if I'll disagree totally. So my answer to that is we always hold them accountable. Yep. I mean... You know, if somebody stole something from you and, and you know, pawned it, like that's an amends that they're going to have to make at some point when mm -hmm. they get far enough in their recovery and they feel stable enough and they're ready to take accountability for that and to accept that. But as a clinician, as a person in long-term recovery, we never give them a pass. I never give them a pass. And the other point I want to make too is, and again, maybe people disagree with this and that's fine. Um, Mary, if you're holding a resentment towards somebody who's done you wrong, who uh, has spent some time in active addiction, they are probably harder on themselves about what they did wrong to you than you are. From my experience, one of the things that I counsel people on is shame. Oftentimes, people who are in very early recovery feel like, what's the point? I'm just a terrible person. I've done these terrible things, and it's just a reinforcing shame cycle. So I don't know because I don't know your loved one, but I would say we always hold them accountable. And I would say that that individual is probably beating themselves up worse than you could. I submit with that. All right. Well, I'll take that and I'll add a few things to it. Maybe I'll agree pretty wholeheartedly on we always hold addicts accountable. Mm. Addicts should be held accountable for their actions. And the opposite of holding addicts accountable for their actions is called enabling. Mm -hmm. Right? So we don't want to do that. We don't want to allow, we don't want to, anything that we as loved ones do to allow a person who is suffering from addiction not to suffer the full consequences of their choices is enabling. Yeah. And we don't really want to be doing that. Um, so there, so there's one thing like we, we want to hold them accountable because if we don't, we're enabling them to continue the behavior that they've been doing on the one hand. Mm -hmm. Now, my, my only, the only real thought I had when you were talking about holding them accountable always, and I believe in that, but I don't think we hold addicts accountable when they're in active addiction for every single thing they say. 
and every single thing they do because, and we've made this point on this show before, addiction is the only thing that will break a mother-child bond. Does that mean, if you're going to hold them accountable, does that mean that when they get into recovery, you keep their kids away from them because they ignored them when they were in active addiction? Does that mean that if they say to their family, I hate you, that you hold them accountable for that and punish them for that for the rest of their lives Mm. when they're no longer in active addiction? And so some of the things that addicts will say when, and again, this goes back to, you brought this up already, but it goes back to the concept of our brain, the brain of a a person addicted to drugs that's in active addiction thinks it's going to die if it doesn't get its, whatever it's your substance of choice is, the addict substance of choice. Dopamine boost, fill in the blank. And if if an addict feels like he or she is going to die then they will do things to stay alive, and to them that's using drugs. And so when we put boundaries on them and say, if you use again, we're no longer going to talk to you, you're asking the addict then to make a choice between staying alive and talking to his family, and he can't make that choice. Mm. That's not a choice that the brain will allow you to make. So it's a, it's it's more than black and white. Sure, it's a there, complex there question. There for sure are some definite gray areas. Yeah. I want to talk to Mary. I want to talk to to talk to Mary. To Mary, I do. Like, I want to ask her. Like, well, you can't why, ask her because she's not on the phone. I know, but I just totally want to. Yeah. Like, why are you letting that person rent free in your brain? Why are you holding on to the resentment? Well, like, so, what's it going to take? Right, because holding resentment's like drinking poison, expecting your enemy to die. So there's the so there's the thing. If you're going to talk to, and Mar- I may be assuming because may, maybe give, it's just give a Mary question. some advice then. Find forgiveness. Okay. Start a conversation. Where would she have turned for some help? I mean, there's family groups, right? Yeah. There's Al-Anon, there's Naranon. But yeah. I, I would think say Al-Anon to, is to a your, great place I would say to, to go. your addict is where you start. I say you have a, a conversation. You you know, one thing that we do in family groups, the four R's, we start off with what resentments do you want to share? Uh, what responsibility or what re- personal regrets do you have? What requests do you have? What do you respect most about the other person? I think open conversation and having um, an assertive com- communication, not aggressive, not passive, not passive aggressive, but assertive would be very beneficial because again, I, I think that there's some shame probably in your loved one who struggled in active addiction. And if, if they're in recovery, maybe it's time to have that conversation. Yeah, no, I think that's good advice. I, I would also say to Mary, you, you touched on it, but I think al is a great place to go. Al-Anon is not where you. Al-Anon is not where you uh, learn how to hold your addict accountable. It's where you learn how to take care of yourself, in spite of the fact that you have a loved one who is. It's where you learn using. to be okay, despite what your loved one right. may or may not do. Right. Where you learn not to hinge your life on what they're doing. Yeah, I got a spin on that. Yeah, I'm wondering. It, it's. <clears throat> I may be taking this way wrong. If I am. Please, no, please shoot, me. please. But it's like, in essence, she's a victim mm. of the situation, mm. right? Okay. Okay. And, you know, so she's asking, how do I, how do I hold them accountable? And it's like, well, don't. You have to change. You have to accept it. You mm. have to forgive it, which almost seems like, you know. I've been wronged and I have work I have to do? Yeah, yeah. Doubling the victim. Mm. You know, it's like, okay, you know. But nobody can make you a victim. You choose to be a victim, right? Yeah, I don't know. You take all my money, steal my car, break into my house, and uh, all kinds of whatever. Yeah, all the things that that go with you know addiction lifestyle that are going against the family, and then the family's like, okay, they're not just a stranger. I can call the cops on it. it's family, so it hurts more. It's not just a hey, I've lost stuff, but now it's like I can't trust you because X, Y. It just seems like it's a it's a deeper thing from uh, the person who chose not. To go down that line. So let me okay. let me if I um, if let I'm, me rephrase yeah. Mary's question okay. to you. Okay. Then. Okay. When do I call the cops? Great question. That's Mary's question. When do I call the cops on my mm-hmm. son? Okay. Or daughter. It's, it's or, not necessarily yeah. Mary's question, but yeah, it is yeah, a yeah, subset yeah. of Mary's question. When did your family call the cops on the two of you? Well, they didn't. the The pharmacy called the cops on me. Okay. Well, that's so, a little, that's a little, that's more, I think that's easier to that understand. That was easier on that's my a, family. That's a business thing. 
That's a that's a that's, I've been wrong. There's tort there. It's not a not necessarily a family emotional thing. But this is a we got 37 oh, seconds left. My bad. This is a subject we need to carry into the next thing because okay. that because I have some thoughts on what you just asked, which is great. This is a great line of yeah. Yeah. When does my wife call the cops when I'm the major breadwinner? Holy mackerel. How's that for a tough yeah. question? We might not get to any other questions, Dr. Yeah. Sellers. It we sounds might. like you're pretty passionate I, about this I, one. I, well, it's interesting, And you've got your it? Cougars hat on, so you're well, ready we to got, fight. We got I contributed today. Yay. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that's the end of segment one. Join us here in about 30 seconds for segment number two. We and do recover with Jared Miller. Listen, if you have written in, we will get to your question. Yep. You are listening to We Do Recover with Jared Miller and co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. We'll be right back after this short break with more of We Do Recover with Jared Miller, sponsored by Steps Recovery Center and the Hilton Garden Inn. I'm Desmond Lomax, one of the clinical executives here at Steps Recovery. once you become of the Steps family, you're just a part of the Steps family. A lot of us have overcome substances, overcome addiction, and now we're able to help other people. Second of all, we're also going to help you in a way where you can afford to be helped. Third of all, we're going to give you the same quality that many organizations are charging two to three times. And it's more about you than it is about our organization. We welcome you back to We Do Recover with Jared Miller, co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. And now with part two of our podcast, Jared Miller and Dr. Terry Sellers. Welcome back, everybody. Part two, segment number two of episode 105, We Do Recover with Jared Miller. We've been uh, answering questions, and I would say questions, but we only got to one. <laughs> Weird. It's like we, we love to a talk. question, <laughs> but we still have more to answer on that question. But before we do, segment two, part two is, bro- <coughs> that's nice. <coughs> I'm going to choke on myself now. <coughs> I tried to talk through it. Segment two is brought to you by the Hilton Garden Inn in St. George. Utah, which is uh, the place to stay if you're down here. So if you're traveling through southern Utah, look them up. Give them your business. The Hilton Garden Inn has wonderful amenities. Their hot their hot tub's fantastic. Their pool is great. Their food's good. Mm. Uh, really good. Like, they have some interesting dishes at late at night that they'll make for you. And their staff is uh, just wonderful and takes really good care. Rooms are clean. Everything's perfect. For our Utah listeners, some of you have got to be traveling to southern Utah to get out of that snow for the yes, holiday. Yes. Check out the Hilton Garden Inn in St. Yeah, George, Utah. Place, you will not be disappointed. Yep, They've been good to us, too. So, All right. Well, let's, So the question you asked, Sean. Well, let's... Yeah, so let's... Uh, I want to continue on this for a little bit, not for too long, because we got a bunch of questions to get to. But, yeah, so the question gets a little more complex when you talk about, say, for example, my, if it's a son or a daughter using drugs, that's a different story than what if it's... So in my family's case, my wife would have been the one to have called the cops and she would have ruined my ability to make a living. And she's a stay-at-home mom. It, which makes it really difficult, right? Yeah. So when does she hold me accountable? And that's... I don't know that there's a right and wrong answer to that, but it becomes, it's for sure not black and white. Yeah, it's complex. Right. There are a lot of factors that go into this. And I've said this before, and I have had, uh, I have had some children that have struggled with addiction. I've always told clients and patients this, I can tell you what the textbook says. I don't know if I could do that. Mm. The textbook says that they're using in your house, kick them out. Mm. I have not always been capable of doing that with my own children. It's tougher than it sounds. Even though you sometimes want to and you get so frustrated, you don't want your kids living out on the street when you have a warm place, at least in the basement, where they can sleep. So it's difficult. I totally get that. I I do. I think that the kick them out mentality, um, that leads to potentially overdoses that leads to some mental health stuff. I mean, listen, they already are sick. If we could stop viewing this as a social, like they're just either immoral or they're just criminals. And if we could, if you could look at that individual, like they're sick, they need help. That's a good place to start. Now, listen, my, my feedback would be set boundaries, right? Well, like to, to answer your question with your wife, like, sure. Maybe calling the cops is too extreme. Right. But she absolutely could say, Hey, you know, honey, Terry, like 
if you're going to continue to use, you know, X, Y, and Z, I'm going to have to do this to keep me and the kids safe. And maybe that would have been the wake up call to the point where she wouldn't have had to call the cops necessarily. Sure. Is, would that be where the line is? Because you say, okay, well, if I kick them out and they have to live in the basement or on the street or whatnot, but when, I, I could see the calling of the cops be the line of now my safety is in jeopardy. The other members of my family are in jeopardy, maybe even immediate jeopardy. And hmm. I think that's that's where the line gets crossed. Again, I think that this is, we can go down hypotheticals all day long. It yeah. depends on the situation, right? Like, is her son 16 and she found a little bag of, you know, stems and sticks of some marijuana? Are you going to kick him out because he's experimenting with marijuana? Uh, but if he's experimenting with a meth he's, lab, that, that's... Sure, yeah, that's, right? That's, what, that's, that's the point I'm yeah, making yeah. is I would need to know Mary... And I would need to know her son to give the, to give like a precise answer to that question. There's Although there isn't details. a precise answer to that question, even if you knew Mary, right? Mm. I don't know if there is a precise answer to that question. I think based on levels Different of care, people. I think that there now, are. Now, here's the thing. Setting boundaries. So the boundary looks like this. You are 16. You're living in my house. You bring drugs in my house and you can't live here anymore. Sure. But there's programs. Most states have programs where they can, it's, it's like for juvenile people, um, What's the name of it? Where it basically teaches them like the health hazards and it's it's a less, it's basically a soft intervention, right? It, it helps them understand the education, the knowledge and experience behind it so that they kind of at least have that. Prime for life. I mean, that's one of, one of them, right? Where they're getting information and education, educating themselves. There, I think there are some steps you could take. But again, yeah, I mean, if they're making a meth lab in the basement and people are at risk, yeah. Why? I, that's a, that's a, uh, that seems pretty obvious to me that most people would kick them out if they're having a meth lab in your right, house. Right. Because yeah, it's, good stuff. it's going to be environmentally dangerous to the family, yeah. but. And that's what I say, if, the immediate danger. What if they're just safety. using meth in the house though? I mean, mm. that's the, that's really what happens more often. I think the whole kicking them out thing, listen, my mom got to a point where, where she just, she knew I was shooting up in the bathroom and she said, you can't live here. Now, listen, was it extremely hard? Yes. Was it the um, rock bottom that I needed for me to figure it out? Yes. I couldn't manipulate anymore. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't have my cake and eat it too. Could you have left an overdose and died? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And this is the hard part that mothers particularly have. At the end of the day, anytime. More so than fathers, frankly. At the end of the day, anytime a parent is struggling, the core emotions fear. Absolutely. Like that's, that's always it is fear. Right. But also that's why I'm an advocate for get, get professional help involved. Get your own. There are people that do interventions for a living. Like there are treatment centers out there that you can give that kid an ultimatum. Like, look, I don't want to kick you out, Johnny or Susie, but you can't stay here for another night or sorry, another week unless you go to treatment, right? Right. You give them an ultimatum and then ultimately you're not the one that kicked him out. They made that choice. Sure. They had options. Sure. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Should we rock and roll? Yeah, we got a, We probably got some more questions here. Jared, you want to read this yes. one? Yes. Okay. Jared and Terry. Every week, Jared talks about different types of care when he talks about steps. Can you explain those a little more? I have a son who needs help but is scared to uproot his life. I'm confused and seeking clarification. Thanks for all you do. Sincerely, Miss Larson. Go ahead. I'm well. Okay. Give the first crack. So, well, you know the thing that jumps off the page to me is uh, he's scared to uproot his life. But whatever he's doing, if he keeps using, he's going to lose. Right. Yeah. So we always there's been a there's been a saying around sort of recovery and and self help groups and stuff for a long time. Whatever you put in front of your recovery, you're going to lose. Mm. Seemed trite and seemed silly to me until it happened to me. Yeah. Right. I got basically almost forced by the state to go to treatment. Mm. But I was the but I was a very busy obstetrician at the time. And I was so important. Just ask me and I'll tell you. <laughs> I felt like I was import so important. I wasn't really that important. I'm that was meant to be a joke, but I felt like it was more important for me to be at a delivery if I had somebody in labor than to get some kind of call coverage and have somebody else do the delivery and me go to treatment. Yeah. So I missed a bunch of treatment. Well, eventually the state got mad at me and took my license away. Yeah. 
I lost it. I lost what I had put in front of recovery, and that was how important my work was as an obstetrician. It wasn't as important as me being clean and sober and me staying that way. And That's I lost point. it. So it's that kind of jumps point. off the page when I read, well, he's afraid to uproot his life. His mm. life will be uprooted for him if he continues doing what he's doing. Mm. Yeah. Right? So that's the first part of the question. But the second part of the question really was about, I mean, the main part of the question was what What are the basic steps of care? So there's a bunch of different. Do you uh, want me to jump into? You can jump into that all you want. I do this every week Let's start for an with orientation the, group, right? When, when clients come to to treatment at the residential level, I do an orientation group. This okay. is part of the orientation group. The first stop is going to be detox. The act, the clinical goal of detox is physical stabilization, okay. AKA Jared's explanation. Don't die. Okay. Right? Don't die. If you're detox, detoxing off of, go ahead. Detox is taking someone from substance use to not using substances in a safe manner. And for two substances specifically, that can be pretty scary. Alcohol and benzos, and we've gone over that on this podcast. And then for the third substance, opiates, it's not very dangerous. It's just super uncomfortable. You'll wish you were That's dead. what yeah. keeps addicts using is yep. the fear of that discomfort. Absolutely. So that, that's stop number one on the recovery train, now, typically. Now, listen, hold on, though. I, I want to say this because it, it's, okay, I'm going to have a little tangent moment. Yeah, well, I'm going to go over. I'm going to go over the levels of care. Yeah. However... This is all contingent upon the severity of the substance use disorder that your loved one has. If you do a drug and alcohol assessment and they qualify for a severe, whatever, fill in the blank, alcohol, opiate, methamphetamine type disorder, they probably need the 3.5 level of care, residential. They need something. Yes. Pretty substantial. Now listen, if Uncle Joe likes to get drunk one too many days of the week... And he has a really good job and he's, you know, he might be able to start at a lower level of care, such as day treatment, intensive outpatient. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like I, I'm, one thing that drives me crazy is we, uh, I don't know if I should go here. I don't like it when we approach it as one size fits all. Okay. Like, me, let's just refer either. everybody to residential. Like, me either. Little no. Susie okay. drinks two days a week. That's where I was going to clap back. Is not, everybody, not everybody needs residential treatment. Right. But let's go back to detox because there's only one thing I want to say, and then I want you to move to the next level. Okay. There, studies have shown that detox does nothing to improve your chances of remaining clean and sober. Detox is not really quite considered treatment, it's a bridge. Right. It's getting you from using to not using safely, but it does nothing for your future. Mm, yeah. It doesn't teach you in detox. They don't teach you in detox how to stay clean and sober. They just get you to that point for a minute, and then you're stable enough to go to actual treatment. Yeah. Okay. Next level up the rung. So those that, Next rung up the ladder. Those that qualify with the severe substance use disorder category, depending on the substance, would go to detox. The next stop would be residential. Residential Treatment Center, or RTC, is a 24-7 hour level of care. In other words, they can't run, do their laundry and come back. They can't go pick up a pizza and come back. The goal of that is physical or biomedical and psychological stabilization. We're basically babysitting. I mean, I hate to say it, but, but time is going to be the biggest thing in that. They are learning how to deal with cravings and triggers in a safe environment, a very protected, isolated environment before they step down or back into life. It's full of triggers and full of craving. Would you agree or disagree? Uh, 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 pretty much agree. Okay. The other thing you get out of that is time, but you also get space. Yeah. You're not near your drug dealer. Mm -hmm. You have no access to drug dealers. You're going to be in a house where there are no drugs typically. And so the time and space, in addition to all the things taught to you, are the benefits of residential treatment. I want to speed this one up just a little bit because we got 12 minutes left, and okay. I don't want to bore people to death. So, I do want to answer Ms. Larson's question, though. The next one's going to be day treatment. Okay, so residential, though, is typically thought of as the kind of top level of care. Yeah. Right? You don't have to go from detox to residential. That's if you have a severe problem. Disorder, yeah. And that's according to the DSM-5, whether it's severe, moderate, or mild, right? And you would find that out if you met with somebody and did a drug and alcohol assessment. Right. Okay, moving on. So the next level is going to be 
PHP technically, which stands for partial hospitalization programming, blah, 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 boring. We call it day treatment. Day treatment is going to be the next level. The goal is the exact same. It is going to be biomedical and psychological stabilization. The reason why it's a lower level of care is because they are now back into the community. People either will live at home or sometimes in like a sober living facility or someplace that's a little safer, but they don't live at the treatment center usually. This is typically the first choke point in the treatment model. We lose people in this step down. Why? Because choice. Yeah. Once again, I mean, they're in now you can five be, hours of services a day, right. but outside of that. Now you can be around your drug dealer. Right. Now you can be around your family, which might be your trigger. Now you can be around that sort of stuff. Yeah. However, if they do do really well in day treatment, uh, then they're going to step down to IOP, intensive outpatient. That's 10 plus hours per week. That is uh, the goal of that is basically um, implementation of skills in psychoeducation, right? So we've been getting you stable. We've been teaching you some stuff. Show us you can use coping skills. Show us you can get a full-time job. Show us you can get independent housing. Show us you can get an ongoing therapist to meet with biweekly or once a month for just maintenance. And then, of course, there's GOP, general outpatient. The goal of that is just maintenance. Come check in. Give back. Help out. Stay a part of something. I feel like we've answered that really well. Yeah, I think that's a good, I think that's an adequate answer. I will say this, that uh, I went to IOP. I didn't go to residential treatment. Thank you. And I think that uh, that thinking that every single person needs to go to residential is not true. Um, but I will tell you, people that go to IOP that don't stay clean and sober need to go to residential. Here's the thing. Miss Larson's son, it's important to him. And I don't know what he does for a living, but the sure. uproot his life is jumping out at me as well. Right. And the advice I would give them is this. Meet with somebody, get a drug and alcohol assessment, and then go from there. Odds are you don't have to give up your job. You don't have to walk away from your family. So this isn't Hollywood. Not everybody's treatment experience looks like you go somewhere for 30 to 60 to 90 days where you have no contact with the outside world. Well, plus Mrs. Larson's son has a disability, a disabling condition whereby his job might be protected FMLA. even if he goes to residential treatment. Family Medical Leave Act. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. So really good stuff. I'm glad we talked about that because that's, that's a, yeah, that's a pain point for me. Let's move on. Okay, question three is a Matt question. Dr. Sellers. Matt is medical-assisted treatment, and uh, James asks an individual, if an individual who has had legitimate pain problems and become addicted to opioids, wouldn't it make sense for them to take Suboxone or Methadone for longer than a detox taper? Great question. That's a Thanks, good question. James. But the good news is it's a yes or no answer, and the answer is yes. <laughs> Let's move on. No, yeah. I'm kidding. We what can't quite move on. But yeah, that's a good, that is a good candidate for Suboxone is somebody with chronic pain who has had problems with opioid addiction. Suboxone is not as abusable and it doesn't allow you to abuse other opiates. Mm -hmm. So long-term Suboxone for a chronic pain, and you don't, also you don't develop tolerance to Suboxone at the same rate you do some other medications. So long-term treatment with Suboxone for chronic pain is absolutely legit and a really good thing to do for people that have struggled with opiates. Methadone, very similar. It's got a very long half-life. You only have to dose once a day. It the, the drawback to methadone, though, is you can take methadone and then go out and use heroin at the mm. same time. So I don't like the methadone quite as much. Because it doesn't have the antagonist. Yeah, you can't. It doesn't block the any other opiate. So you yeah. could get high on top of the methadone. But good question. And I think that that's, yeah, I think those that's absolutely a great suggestion. Suboxone has more uses than just detox. I happen to use it quite a bit for detox. But long-term Suboxone, I think, is a really good idea for certain people. I just think that it's not every single person who has an opiate addiction who ever struggles with opiates. I think those people need to meet certain criteria and try to go clean and sober if they can without resorting to long-term treatment of another type of opiate. You know, I think this comes from, from a clinical standpoint, and I don't know, this could be 100% speculation. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but... I think James is probably catching a lot of flack from abstinence-based mm, sure. fellowship, oh, sure. die hard. Listen, medication-assisted treatment is a thing. There are people that need something. What do you just tell somebody that has chronic pain will deal with your chronic pain? Yeah, you're Tape a Tylenol to it? Right. Like he's going to relapse and probably 
die on real opiates if he's not on something to help curve that pain. Well, now does that mean we enable everybody that's got pain? But no, if somebody goes to a legitimate pain clinic and they do an MRI or they do a whatever the medical terms are, and they see that there is a legitimate reason for pain management, absolutely. If you're if you've struggled with opiates, you should have something. That's just inhuman to say no. To me, the other long term suboxone treatment patient would be somebody who's been to treatment nine times. Yeah. Like they've tried it nine different times without something. Maybe that's not working guys. If it's, if you've been, I've treated people that have been to 17 treatment episodes. Let's not just go take them back to treatment. Cause what are we going to teach them? The same thing we taught them 17 times before and not change anything up. That person probably needs something longer term to keep them from using other opiates I just, or whatever. The drug I, I just struggle is. with the culture of this is how I did it. So you have to do it this way. Right. I really have a hard time with that because you're not that person. You may have different challenges to overcome and different things to deal with in that person. So one size does not fit all. You are talking about a select group of people typically that we think of in an AA program as old timers. Well, and listen, if they're, it worked for them, they're great. They're the hardliners and this is the way, well, they didn't have any other options, first of all, sure. right? So they didn't have medication-assisted treatment. So I toughed it out, so you have to tough it out. That's the same mentality that keeps us in this stuck age of, so I trained in med school, right? Mm-hmm. The doctors before me did 120-hour weeks. Well, I did 120-hour weeks, so now you got to do 120-hour weeks. It was always a bad system. Mm. It's finally changing. But it's based on this old hand-me-down notion of I did it, so you have to do it. Yeah, yeah, great. It's the old hazing thing in college. And and I don't want to hate on those guys because, listen, obviously what they've done works for them, and that's great, right? Like, I don't want to hate on a group that's hating on a group. I'm just saying, like, let's all just find some tolerance and acceptance, and what works for people is fantastic. There's a bunch of different ways to get clean and sober. All right, should we rock and roll with the next one? Yeah. Okay, we got two more in five minutes. Let's see if we can knock it out. We can do it. Hey guys, I recently saw the episode about ketamine treatment. I'm interested about I'm interested but worried others will consider it as a relapse. What are your thoughts? Do you believe ketamine is treatment? PS. I would like to stay anonymous. Thanks. You're anonymous. Yep. We didn't tell anybody who you are, so um great, because that dovetails right on with our last question. Yeah. The last question was if I'm on Suboxone, are people going to say I'm not really in recovery? If I'm on Methadone, are people going to say that's not really totally what the question was? But it's there's some some of that in there, right? So here it is asked in a plainer form. If I'm using ketamine, is everyone going to think I've relapsed? And so my answer to that is, how did you get ketamine? Because if you question. bought it on the street, yes, you relapsed. Mm-hmm. If you went to a legitimate medical source and your doctor recommended ketamine and you use it as prescribed, it's the same as any other medication to me. If it's prescribed by a doctor and you use it exactly as prescribed and your doctor knows you're an addict, Mm -hmm. then you have not relapsed. Man, you just hit a lot of things. So I always, I I try to envision this, envision this as like my client asking me, right? Right. My, my feedback would be how long have you been clean? Sure. What's your intention? Yes. Are you... The biggest question of all. Mm-hmm. What's your intention? I do think that there needs to be some substantial clean time in there. In other words, Absolutely. if you've got a month and you're talking about getting ketamine, yep. dude, you're just... Wrong idea. You're looking for drugs. I would assume, right? Like, I don't know. I can't think their thoughts, and but right. that's what it looks like. Right. And that's what it feels like. And that's kind of what it is a lot. Not always. So how much clean time do you have? Are traditional forms of whatever you're trying to treat, whether it's PTSD, depression, anxiety, have you tried those? Have they been been beneficial? Have they not been beneficial? Um, yeah, what's your intention? Are you getting it prescribed by a doctor? In other words, you're not telling yourself how much you're taking. It's up to the doctor. The other thing is, what are you doing it for? Yeah. Because if you're doing it for something that it's actually not medically approved for, because it's a lot of people, I've seen people come and try to do it for anxiety. There's... Uh, and we had a ketamine guy on. I, there's not a lot of studies backing its treatment for anxiety. Interesting. There is for treatment-resistant depression, and there is for PTSD for sure. But if you're going to the doctor telling him why you need ketamine, something's wrong. Mm. The doctor yeah. needs to tell you why you need ketamine. I think, I think too, you could be seeing an independent therapist and they recommend it. Self-selection is all I'm going for is right. you deciding you need ketamine rather than somebody recommending it to or you is a different to animal. You. Yes, absolutely. And no, I don't think that that's a relapse at all. I think that, you know, I think, no. listen, I again, we talked about all path, pathways can be different, right? I mean, I to be completely transparent, 
I've I've tried I've tried ketamine for depression and some PTSD stuff. Uh, like, I'm not going to give out my whole medical thing on here, but I started with Doc Sellers. I I've done it with through Desert Sands Ketamine. I think ketamine is fantastic if you have the right intention, and if again, oh, I'm not telling them how how much yeah. they're giving me. It's completely prescribed by a doctor. Right. I want to hit one more thing on this. We're almost out of time, but um, if you're not telling everybody in your life you're on ketamine then check your intentions. Right. If you're keeping that a secret, something's up there. Right. Yeah. If you're willing to let people know in your life you're doing that, that's a different story. And I think Dr. Evans, honestly, with Dr. with uh, Desert Sands Ketamine, I think he would, he, like, he's a screening and solid dude. Like, I think right. he'd be able to weed those people out. Right. All right, let's rock and roll into the next one. Oh, I don't, this next one requires a one minute. Yes. I've heard you ask for listeners' questions on your Facebook page. This isn't recovery-related, but I am just curious what each of your favorite memories are together. It seems like you guys are friends on and off the podcast. Oh, isn't that sweet? Sweet. It's touching. Well, uh, well, okay, so we're both fairly competitive, first of all. Uh-huh. I come down, and we bowl, and we're quite competitive at it. We go play golf. We're fairly competitive at it. Yes. We. Uh, turns out I'm a better golfer. I'm a better bowler. And I don't I'm, care what you say. And I'm a better bowler. <laughs> we have yet to find what he's better at, but that's because I won't play him in football. <laughs> I have a lot of a lot of yeah. You this got is, twenty seconds. This is a tough one for me. So probably the first time I ever met you, and this stranger that's a doctor is giving me the time of day. Because back then I didn't work in treatment. I was driving a rock truck. That's right. Like just this guy that didn't know me from Adam gave me the chance. That's probably my old all all time one. And then every time you come down, you take me and Mandy out, and that's special. That's why I give you the Christmas gifts. That's why I love you. That's what it is for me, buddy. Merry Christmas, brother. You feel the bromance? Yep. Merry Thanks Christmas, for everybody. everybody. You're okay, See too, you next Sean. Time. Thanks, guys. Thank you for joining us today on We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Help us spread our message of hope. Like, comment, and share. If you have any topics or ideas for future shows, please share that on our Facebook page. That Facebook page is We Do Recover with Jared Miller. If you or a loved one needs help, please reach out to us. Again, thank you for listening. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. This has been a production from A Podcast Studio.